Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 251 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by none other than Rachel Talibart, a photographer from the United Kingdom who is well known for her wave and coastal photography. Rachel has been interviewed countless times before on other podcasts. However, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into what makes her tick and what her processes are in the field to make unique and exceptional work. On Patreon this week, Rachel and I discussed the pros and cons to specialization in photography and why she decided to go that route in her own career. If you too would like to support the podcast and gain access to over 120 bonus episodes, access to episodes before anyone else, and lots of other perks, just hit pause and go to patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen, or look for the link in the show notes. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, Rachel Talibart, it's great to have you on the podcast, finally. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I've... Um... I think I first reached out to you like almost two years ago when I did my um, panel episode on women in landscape photography. And but I mean, I've always wanted to have you on the show just one on one too. So I'm glad I'm glad you could make it. Oh, it's absolutely uh, great to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. So for the five people who have been living under a rock their whole life that don't know about you and your photography. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay, so I'm Rachel and um, I'm a full-time professional photographer and I specialise in the coast and in particular the sea. I'm a bit obsessed. And um, I've been a full-time professional since 2015, so not that long really. Um, I am married and I have two children, grown up, and I live in the UK in the south of England. Um and I think that's probably about it, really. Brilliant. So I know I heard you talk a little bit about this on David's podcast, but would love for you to talk just for a brief moment about kind of what led you into photography to begin with. Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I've always enjoyed photography since I was a teenager. Um, I got given a one of those really old-fashioned now, because I'm not very young, um, cartridge film cameras when I was 13, I think, for a birthday or Christmas. And um, I, got, I was hooked almost immediately. And I just loved recording what I saw. And I really wasn't doing anything better than that. I mean, you know, no one's ever going right. to see those photos because they are dreadful. But um, I really enjoyed that. And then um, as I became an adult, I did started to become a bit of a travel junkie, uh, traveled an awful lot. And um, when I qualified in my first career, I took some unpaid leave and took um, my first 35 millimeter film camera with me um, on a very, very quick round the world trip with my backpack. Um, most of the time spent in Australia and New Zealand and just saw amazing things. And um, when I got back, I was hooked, spent my first paycheck as a qualified solicitor on uh, my first SLR. And that was it then, really. Awesome. That's funny. I heard you talking about uh, being a solicitor on Serena Jackson's podcast as well. And uh, is, for us in America, is that basically like a lawyer? Is, is that yeah. basically what that is? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so we're a weird term because we have a, a divided legal profession here. We have barristers and solicitors, and I was a solicitor. But basically, yeah, gotcha. it's 
an attorney. Gotcha. Good deal. Well, awesome. Well, let's just um, let's go ahead and just dive right in here. I have a lot of things that I want to ask you about. You know, one one thing that I've picked up on by looking at your work and hearing you describe it is that you really pride yourself on originality and personal expression. And I wanted to just tap into, you know, why is that? Why is that so important for you? Maybe I'm the sort of facetious answer is I think I'm probably quite stubborn and ornery. <laughs> and I don't want to do what everyone else is doing just out of sheer bloody mindedness. But um, quite apart from that, um, I just don't find it rewarding when I make photographs that I, I think are, are derivative. Um, but I, I'm very careful with people who might be in a different stage with their photography, not to labour the point, because I think it's everybody has to do derivative work. Um, you know, that's how you learn the craft. I just think that at some point you reach a stage where it's no longer satisfying and you want to do something that you feel is a bit more personal and a bit different. Having said that, it's really hard to be truly original. Is anybody really truly original? There's so many um, visual artists out right. there, whether photographers or painters or whatever, and we've all been making lots and lots of images and the chance of being truly original is pretty slim. But I like to be as close to it as I can get. I think that's probably fair. Yeah, especially in um, nature and landscape photography, I feel like originality is an incredibly high bar to set for yourself. <laughs> it is. And and if, and if you sort of cleave to that bar too tightly, you reach a, a problem, which is that you get in a, you get stuck. Um, and sometimes I have to remind myself, actually, just go down to the coast with your camera and don't put yourself under pressure to be original. Just make pictures and don't worry if they're not original. No one needs to see them. You just upload them to your hard drive, but get out there and make photos because that's when you'll get the ideas for the next the next thing. But sometimes you have to kind of make yourself do that because you can think, oh, no. You know, not another picture with the horizon on the above center and a nice sky and some swishy water, you know, <laughs> and uh, you can just be a little bit hard on yourself, or at least I can sometimes. So I do have to just remind myself, just go out and make pictures and stop worrying about it. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I'm very similar to you, at least in my own mindset about wanting to be original and wanting to have more personally expressive work. But, you know, I went to Death Valley for the first time recently and I'm starting to edit those photos. And of course, one of my favorite images I took was from a very iconic spot and amazing, exactly what you said, you know, like perfect, like the horizon with awesome clouds. And like, you know, it's sometimes those scenes are still great to shoot. I have to admit it. Sometimes it still does feel really good to make an image like that. Um, but I know that I made a lot of other images too that, are going to be way better and more, you know, different and personal and unique. And so I'm always looking for that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it kind of makes sense. I wonder if maybe everybody in the end ends up looking, looking for that, but um, you know, you, you maybe get there at a different point in your journey, depending on what happens to you. But yeah, it makes sense to me that, that you would think the same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's um, like you said, I totally agree with what you said. It's uh, at some point, at least for me, and I've, almost every single person that I've talked to that has been a photographer for more than like six or seven years, you kind of reach a point where it gets boring, you know, it's like, and, you know, kind of formulaic. And so it's, it's, but then it becomes really hard. Yeah. You know? oh, I yes. think that's, 
that's where it's like, okay, am I, re- am I really a good photographer or not? You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. The self-doubt definitely. That's part and parcel yeah. of what we do, isn't it? All the time. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, think I don't I- know about you, but when you start to get into more of that type of photography, uh, it's so much harder and there's a lot more failure. And so there, the self-doubt comes very naturally. <laughs> yeah. I think so too. Um, it's quite it's quite hard. Um, I think actually, I think it's quite good that one confesses to that publicly, because um, you know most of the time we're sort of putting on a front, aren't we? You know, especially if you're trying to make a living from this game. And it's maybe um, you come across as being super confident, and you know, always every time you take a picture, it's a smash hit and all of that, which of course isn't isn't life at all is it it's just totally not real and um yeah I don't think the self-doubt ever goes away but yeah totally agree it's um it's much harder when you start striving to do something different and striving to be as original as is possible for you to be and then you sort of start to butt up against other demands like if you have a social media presence you know the the feeling that you've got to have a new picture and yet actually you're not really very happy with any of the pictures that you've taken lately And then are you going to compromise your principles and put a new picture up just because you like need one because you haven't put one up for ages or, you know, and all of those things go, go in your head, don't they? Yeah. And and then you start to question yourself like, oh, am I really, am I really doing the right thing here? You know, um, am I any good at this stuff? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 hard. It's very hard. <laughs> yeah, first world problems, sorry. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. But I do think there's. I think there is a reason why a lot of people don't kind of stick to it, you know, because when you when you hit that point, I think for some people it's not as fun anymore, right? So I'd be curious, how do you how do you keep it fun uh, when you're constantly failing? <laughs> not that you fail a lot, but I if your experience is like me. For every one really amazing photo that you create, there's probably like 10 or 15 that didn't quite hit the mark. Hey, that's an amazing hit rate. I'd love to get one in 15. That would be great. (laughs) 1,500, I don't know. (laughs) That's more like it. Um, Yeah, I think, well, what I've learned to do, but it's always a work in progress. You have to kind of be your own mentor, right, and remind yourself sometimes in a really deliberate way. But the thing that I really strive to be is experience driven rather than results driven. Mm. So, in fact, this morning I um, got up super early and went down to the coast for sunrise because I don't actually live on the coast. I wish I did. So I got down there for sunrise. I knew it was going to be an ordinary sunrise because the forecast was pretty clear. We've had very settled weather here, no clouds, clear blue skies, not my standard conditions. But I had the time. I had the opportunity and I thought, you know what, you're not going to get a portfolio picture this morning, but you are going to get to stand on an empty beach at sunrise and it's going to be gorgeous. Yes. So I just went and I stood for two hours and the beach was empty because it was really cold. So every sensible human was was still in bed. And I stood in the sea for two hours, just loved it, made loads of really average pictures that will never be shown to anybody, but had a brilliant time. And I felt I've been in a really good mood all day doing all the other things that I have to do in my life. I've done in a good mood because I had that experience and that, for me, is the the solution to all the uh, the issues about you know mm. getting the next portfolio picture is just not to stress about it. But like I said, I have to keep reminding myself. So, what do you do? How do you? Uh, do I I'm very 
Very similar to you. In fact, um, I have a quick story uh, from my Death Valley trip. Um, I know, you know I, I've never photographed sand dunes before. And, you know, like Death Valley is super known for lots of sand dune photography. And so I was really excited to go and check that out. But of course, we get there and, you know, my, I was with my buddy Kane and he's talking to people and he, they're, you know, they're saying like, oh, there hasn't been any wind. So there's like lots of footprints everywhere and it's not very good. You know, there's all these qualifiers. And and so we went out there for the first night um, and he stayed for like 10 minutes and he was like, this is this is terrible. The conditions are bad. I'm going home. And I was like, what? I was like, this is amazing. This is the most amazing stuff I've ever seen. And I was, I think I was out there for like three hours, just, you know, I found stuff everywhere. And I was, I avoided stuff that didn't speak to me. And I found a lots of, you know, like I didn't probably have anything that was mind blowingly good, but I had an amazing time trying, you know? And so yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I think that experience driven approach can not only make you a better photographer, but it, it makes you a happier person too, right? <laughs> yeah, which kind of matters. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, we're doing this stuff for fun, right? It's not, I mean, obviously some of us do it to make money too, but man, if you're not having fun in the process, then what are you doing? Yeah, well, I, I think also I think you're not going to and you're going to end up making work that isn't very good if you're not enjoying it. If it's become a chore, how are you going to get in the right headspace to make good work? I just don't think you can. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, well, kind of along those same lines, um, I know you teach quite a lot of workshops, and that you really want to instill those same values of self-expression and originality into your students' work and their mindsets. And I'm curious what that looks like and how you do it. Yeah, actually, it's um, COVID has made a big difference because, um, and I'm sure you've heard this from other people, um, you know, going into lockdown, and we had quite a few lockdowns here in the UK. Um, what what do you do? You know, you, you've got to postpone all your location workshops, possibly for quite a long time. I've got, you know, workshops coming up this year that have been postponed twice. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the same story for everybody, I suspect. Um, and I saw an opportunity to do more online um, photo project work with small groups, um, longer term mentoring with individual clients, um, things like that, that were really about, uh, not about taking them to the beach and helping them make photographs, but about um, mentoring them creatively with a body of work they've already got perhaps or perhaps encouraging them to go out on their own and make new work and it's been so rewarding it's been amazing I didn't realize how much I would enjoy it um, and it's I'm not going to stop doing it now that we can do location workshops again I've just got to find find the time but I really like it and it, the opportunity to work with other photographers for longer than the length of a workshop you know, for six months or a year or two years and see them develop during that time is very exciting, actually. Um, so some of my clients have done amazing things already. You know, several of them produced books. One of mm. them has produced a book that's gone on to do quite well. And it's just, it's just brilliant. I get very excited when that sort of thing happens. And um, yeah, it's lovely. And I think there's a really nice thing about it, which is that I've, I see... Um, an increased appetite for that sort of thing out mm -hmm. there in the market. 
And that's really encouraging. It means that people don't want to just be driven to iconic landscape, part, you know, queue up in front of the three tripod holes, make the famous photograph and leave and go and have a beer. And, you know, they, they actually want to do something else. They want to work on longer projects. They want to develop creatively. And those, those courses are almost more popular now than the, uh, than the location ones. So yeah, thank, thanks to, um, uh, can I mention it? Yeah, I can mention Zoom. Thanks to Zoom <laughs> for that because, um, yeah, without this sort of uh, COVID and the the long distance conferencing opportunities, I don't think this would have happened. Yeah, I mean, they say never let a good crisis go to waste, right? Yeah, exactly. There's always <laughs> got to be a silver lining in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I feel the same way. I, COVID has really opened a lot of doors for me too, actually. It's been really interesting. Yeah, yeah it's... Now, what, what, what have you done? What's changed for you? Oh, man, well... <laughs> Obviously, um, you know, I've continued with the podcast, but, you know, I taught myself how to work on my car, you know, like work on my car's electrical system. Yeah. I um, I completely converted my Forerunner to make it more of like a photography adventure vehicle. So I've got like solar power and all kinds of stuff going on. Um, wow. that I just, yeah, nice. I just figured it. Yeah. Lots of YouTube, you know, stuff, that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, but also, you know, we worked on the Nat- Natural Landscape Photography Awards with Tim Parkin and Alex Nail and Rajesh J- Jodas Horan, and that was fun. And I worked on a actually got it. I got the first proof of it here. I I wrote a three hundred page book. Um, What's that about? Uh, it's about um, it's a it's a climbing guide book for the mountains that are close to me. Okay. Um, but it uses all my f- photography and. I created all the maps for it, and then I wrote a bunch of the the route descriptions and stuff like that. So, sort of photography related, but oh, yeah. I didn't know you were a climber. Yeah, it's um well in Colorado, there most of the climbing is what you guys would call walking, <laughs> you know. Okay. okay. Um, but there are some technical routes for sure. But um, yeah, so yeah, yeah I've just been busy. Yeah, we've been watching um, lots of climbing films on Netflix. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, <clears throat> what's that one? The Alpinist. That one. Was... Yeah, that's the that's the one we watched most. We watched that at the weekend. That's very sad at the end. Yes. Well, yeah. I pretty, like ten minutes in, I'm like, oh, this Ooh. isn't gonna end well. You could just tell. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 I did think it was amazing, and we watched Fourteen Peaks. Have you seen that? I haven't. I heard it's really good, though. Yeah, it's and of course free solo, which was of course was out a while ago now, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've I found that a lot more people are more interested in kind of learning how to be more personally expressive as well. I mean, my travels and you know, obviously, there's a huge challenge in landscape and nature photography to create work that's personally meaningful or that you know says something different. Um, how do you approach that challenge in your own work? Yeah, it's um, it's hard. The thing that I've found really helps me is, and I've talked about this before in other um, avenues, so sorry if it's something you've heard before. But um, That's okay. 
really is quite key to my practice, so I can hardly avoid mentioning it, which is to keep going back to the same places over and over ah, again. Yes. And that really is a big thing for me. Um, it, it really forces me to dig deeply for new ideas because, you know, when you've been there so many times and in every condition, you really have to start thinking out of the box to, to do anything new and different. And it's I, I quite like the challenge of that. I do like to go to new places too. Don't get me wrong. Every now and then sure. I crave some, you know, a change of scene. But it really helps me when I do go to somewhere new if I promise myself that I'll go back. And even then, right from the get-go, I'm more likely to make uh, pictures that please me rather than just reproduce what I've seen online because I know I can come back. So I sort of feel braver about ignoring the big vista or the famous landmark because I'll be back. So for me, that I really have to do that. That's I mean, my kids and my husband think this is quite funny when we go on holiday. Uh, by about day three, I'm planning the next trip to the same place. <laughs> it's almost like I have to do it to to relax and the first trip, you know, and not feel yes. like I might miss something. So, yeah, it, it's really important to me. Yeah, it's um, how do you how do you avoid creating work that's just like what you've already done? I create a lot of work that's just like what I've already done. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't avoid it at all. But um, the more I'm out there doing it, the more um, likely I am to start to tweak that and change little things. In fact, you can hardly avoid it if you if you're at all creative, if you you if you're not a machine, in fact. And so every human, if you set yourself to reproduce something, a work of art, identically every single time, eventually you'll change something. You won't be able to help it. Um, So, you know, even if let's say I am I use that example of you know horizon above center long exposure swishy water big sky even if i just do that over and over and over again eventually i'm going to notice something that's a little bit different and that will lead me down a path but sometimes that can take a really long time and like all human beings i get frustrated and i think oh no nothing's happening but i just keep going and so at the moment i'm completely obsessed with the tiniest things at the tideline, shells or even just the, the edge of the sea on sand. I yeah. don't know anyone's going to like that stuff at all. Everyone wants to buy big waves from me. so. But I'm really enjoying doing it, really enjoying doing it. And at the moment, that has to be the only criteria. Right. Yeah, no, I'm, I feel the same way. I, I really try not to think about whether or not people will like it or not. I, I find that that can really um, limit what you look for. Yeah. And so I've been trying really hard to just be more open-minded. I think that's a, yeah, that's a really good advice for everybody actually, isn't it? Being more open-minded. Um, yeah. What, yeah. I mean, what also helps me is, and I make all my um, clients who do the creative courses do this as well, is, is to go and look at a lot of really good work that's not on social media. So, hmm. you know, go and looking at the websites of, of a lot of really top photographers who may not have a big following on Instagram because they're maybe they've been around for a bit longer or maybe they're just so beyond that. Um, and look and look at lots of them. And I buy lots of photo books as well. And that really enriches my sort of internal visual language. Hmm. And it does it does help encourage me away from doing the pictures that are on social media all the time because I'm actually I'm I'm learning a language that's dare I suggest 
the word better than is a, a language that's better than the language that you see on social media, a visual language that's that's more interesting. Yeah, I actually try to spend a lot of time curating my Instagram feed to only either be people I know personally or stuff that's very unusual um, and unique and different that you might not see from a from a very big popular accounts. You know, I very seldomly do I follow big accounts unless it happens to also fit in that Venn diagram of also being really unique and different. But yeah, yeah. I'm constantly looking for that kind of stuff myself. Yeah. It's really nice when you find, so you discover someone new and they've got really great work that's totally new to you and really cool. I just love that. You know, it's so exciting and go and hunt down a book or something and have, it, have yes. a good look. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I'm sure you see people doing this on Instagram, but a lot of times people will do like a series of stories where they'll share posts from, you know, that caught their attention over the last few days or weeks or whatever. And yeah, I find I a that. lot of really good stuff that way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I make sure to do that often. And every sun, almost every Sunday, I feature an account. I recommend an account and do a story about one person with like four or five um, posts in stories. And um, yeah, just because I think actually it's quite nice to, to give back as well, I suppose. Um, but someone told me that that messes with your algorithm uh, stats if you do that. But they don't like it when you do that because they want people to pay to promote themselves. They don't want other people promoting them, which if that's true is totally depressing, isn't it? Because that just is so against what social media should be. But I have no uh, idea. It wouldn't surprise true. me, though. <laughs> I know my stats It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially Instagram. That's like the most evil platform on earth, but we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, let's not. Let's, let's just glaze over and move on <laughs> yeah 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 well other than going to um the same location over and over and over again and um, looking at and familiarizing yourself with a wide variety of stimulating work what are some other concrete processes or tips that you've learned over the years that have increased your ability to be creative well, for me, um, another one is my workflow, which is um, a lot slower, I think, than most people <laughs> would find naturally comfortable. So, um, for example, I, I filled a card today, 64 gigabyte card. There it is. And that's going to sit here on my desk next to the computer for a long time before I upload it. Uh-huh. A very long time. Could be could be several weeks even. And um I think the longest I've left a card was six months. Um, so yeah, sometimes it's only days, but usually it's several weeks. And that really uh-huh. helps me because I don't know if I, I bet you'll like this too, but I, I get very excited when I'm standing somewhere amazing making photographs. And it's, you know, it's quite, a, quite an emotional experience, isn't it? If you really love the outdoors and nature, which surely we must all do if we're outdoor photographers. And it's a multi-sensory experience as well, of course. It's not just visual. You've got, you know, you've got the sounds and the, the feeling of the cold wind on your skin and the cold water in your boots and all of that. Oh, the smell um, of the the smell yeah. of the salt water. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it doesn't matter how great my photographs are; they're never going to be as good as the multi-sensory experience of actually being there at the time. So I need that high to dissipate. I need it to fade mm. away. I need to come down <laughs> before I look at my pictures. 
And that can sometimes take a long time and if it's been amazing conditions. So um, the first big storm when I made my most well-known photographs, which is nearly six years ago now, that storm that day um, lives on in my memory as one of the best photo shoots of my life so far. And I think I was still on a high a year later from that. (laughs) (laughs) Every time the music I had heard in the car on my way to and from the beach would happen to come on the radio or something, I would just feel as excited again. So, you know, I I do need a gap because I don't want to be disappointed when I look at the pictures. And if I upload them too quickly, I'm always disappointed. So I've learned Mm. that about myself. Um, So for my brain, that workflow works. It's not for everyone's brain. Some people would need a much quicker flow through to keep them motivated. So I think you have to, there's no ideal workflow for everybody, is there? There's the workflow that works for your particular brain. So for me, there's that long gap. And then when I upload the pictures, I might edit one that's caught my eye. Um, I don't do a load of deleting. I'm not very tidy in Lightroom because, you know, what I'm looking for now might not be the same as what I'm looking for in a year's time. And I don't want to delete any same, gems. Same. Yeah. Um, so when I've edited a picture and I think it's ready um, and I don't spend a lot of time on editing, not because I think it's wrong to do so, but just because I get bored. I um I print it I print it at A3 and then I uh, on proper paper and I um stick it on the wall in my studio and then I live with it as I come and go in my workplace every day um and sometimes you notice stuff you know that you just don't like after a while you think how did I not see that before you know there's a dust spot yeah. there those dust spots hide in when they're on the computer right and they only leap out when when you've printed the picture um, of course <laughs> yes. Um, or maybe there's a bright bit that you don't like that's distracting from you know the bit you want the eye to get or whatever. You might notice something, you think, oh, I need a bit more contrast there or a bit less colour there. So then I edit it again, print it again, and that's a really slow process for me. And my pictures go through that before I publish them. And that includes social media. So I count that as publishing. So that's why my social media is not picture of the day. Not because I think that's wrong to do a picture of the day account. You know, if that floats someone else's boat, great. But for me, it wouldn't work. It would just make me too fast. It would make me dissatisfied. And worse, you know, I'd look back on a picture with a great deal of embarrassment at some point. So oh, yeah, that, yeah. That, so what do you do? Do you have a, are you a much quicker workflow or how do you oh do Oh my gosh, the way you're describing that is so appealing to me, but I also know I could never do it, at least not right now. I I think, um, well, it's, first of all, I just wanted to quickly mention the whole printing and like seeing floss thing. I think that's really important, although I don't do a ton of it myself, but like this picture right over here, the first time I printed it, I was like, look at this really distracting stick, you know, that I yeah. never saw on the computer. You know, I was like, okay. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I think that's important to, to print so that you can just vision. It's just a, I don't know what it is about seeing it tangibly in front of you, but it does, you do notice things that you don't on the computer for some reason, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, what you're describing, I, I really would love, 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 love to switch to that process um, because I know, I know from personal experience, just like you said, every time I rush to edit and get stuff out there, I look back on it and I'm like, oh, it's not as good as it could be. You know, I, I do that to myself all the time, but at the same time, it's like, I have this social contract, you know, it, it doesn't exist, but you know, like <laughs> I mentioned to people, I'm going to Death Valley and like, 
course, what do people say, right? Like, oh, I can't wait to see what you get back and can't wait to see your photos. And and then it's like, if six months goes by and I don't have any Death Valley photos, people are going to be like, didn't you go to Death Valley? You know, like, and that's totally, I could totally do that and get away with it. But I don't know. I, I think there's a, for me, it's a balance. I like to ride that wave of remembering what it was like to be there. But I also know that if I jump in too fast, it will, I'll make a lot of mistakes, not only in selecting what to edit, but also how I edit. So yeah, my new go-to is I'll, I'll, I upload them as fast as I can on my hard drive and get them into Lightroom. But, um, and then I'll start tinkering with some edits, but then I'll let those edits simmer for a few days, maybe even a week or two and come back and look at them. And I almost always hate it, you know, but it's a good, I get it out of my system, right? I get the bad edits out of my system and then the work starts to get better. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't think I could sit on stuff for longer than a couple, three, four weeks, maybe tops. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's longer than a lot of people, actually, three or four weeks. Yeah. What you said forced me to think of another question to ask you, because you were describing that amazing experience of being at the sea. And, you know, I think we all have those moments that we go oh. back to, like, you know, that we get excited about as photographers. And I'm curious for you, like, how do you, in your work, how do you balance the want, the desire, I guess, to kind of represent that experience, but also create something that is artistic, if that makes sense. Because I think it's hard to do both. And I think for a lot of people, a lot of our work tends to be the former, not the latter. You know, it's like, this is an amazing experience. Look at this great photo. But it might not have that kind of artistry behind it that we're all seeking. So I'm curious, how do you kind of tease that out? I don't do the first bit. So I, I, <laughs> I just don't. I'm not interested in in documenting anything really. Uh-huh. Um, everyone else can do that if they want to. That's cool. It just doesn't make me excited. So I'm always going to be looking for something artistic. Something I, what? So I'm, I've described it this way um, to somebody else. I forget who now. So I've often heard people, landscape photographers, say their aim is to show the viewer what the viewer would have seen if they'd been standing next to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, my aim is to show the viewer something they probably wouldn't have noticed if they'd been standing next to me. And that's my that's my aim. And, um, you know, whether it's it's using a long lens to pick a tiny detail out of the scene or a different point of view, really lying down on the beach or getting really high up or um, playing with shutter speed, because seascape photographers, shutter speed is everything, really, because our subjects are always moving. So, you know, I can choose a shutter speed that will show the sea in a way that there's no way the viewer could have seen that because their eyes won't see it a quarter of a second or a thousandth of a second. Um, right. And that, for me, is always the aim in a nutshell. No, I, I like it. No, I, I, I try to do a little bit of both. You know, I, I think it is hard for a lot of photographers, though, to like, like, how do you know when you've created something that is more than just a representation of what you've seen or experienced, right? And I think... That's it's hard to describe, right? But I also think it's 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 hard. See, I only I'm only sort of just about in in the landscape photography world. I'm not I'm not sure I always fit very neatly into what landscape photography is. And I think it is different with the sea because it 
you know, if you, it's not recognisable as any particular place. If you just photograph the sea, you could be anywhere. So your work is no longer about place. Whereas as soon as you photograph land, apart from maybe, you know, really the close-up intimate landscapes, but everything else, it, you're documenting a recognisable place. And then I think it's really hard not to document place. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I really hate to suggest that documenting a place is the wrong thing to do because I follow and admire a lot of the work of a lot of great landscape photographers who do that and they do it brilliantly. They, you know, they put, get themselves to the right place for the best light. They find beautiful compositions. They nail it and they're gorgeous pictures and they make me want to go to the place. Um, right. So that's, you know, and there's a great deal of artistry in that too. But I think when, when you just, if you just photograph the sea and you're usually pointing out to sea without any land in the picture at all, or if it is, if there is any land, it's just the, the edge of the beach, then um, I think straight away that helps you get past the idea of documenting anything really. Um, sure. Which works for me, I guess, maybe the two go together. I don't know which came first, really. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, it kind of begs the question, though, you know, like, what does it even mean to be creative? I mean, like, how do we even qualify that, right? I mean, I've heard some people just say, well, like, oh, I, it's when you've literally created something from nothing, that's create, that's being creative. But I'm curious kind of what your take is on how you would define it. Yeah, I mean, I think I would define it as widely as I could possibly do it because everybody's going to have their own take on creativity and, and long may that variety live. But I mean, I come up it from a slightly different angle in that I absolutely don't, I don't believe in talent. I think everybody is creative um, in some way. It's just about finding the way in which you, you can express your personal creativity and everyone's going to have in an ideal world everyone's going to have their own their own expression of their own unique creativity and it might be find you know finding um, a different take on a well-known scene or it might be something else entirely I think I someone told me a story once um, about a photographer who had been it was very he was I know who he is, but I'm not going to say. He's um, very honest about this, so full marks to him. He says, um, I want to make it as a landscape photographer, but I have a day job. I can only do photography at the weekend, so every trip has to count. So what I do is I go online, I find work done by other people, I work out how they did it, and then I go to the same place and I try and get the same thing. Now, that to me is, I think, probably crushing any creativity that that person naturally has. Because yeah, they've you know they've produced pictures that look a lot like mine and a lot like a lot of other people's pictures, but that person hasn't yet found his own voice, and he's never going to find his own voice as long as he has this requirement that he should get a, a keeper every weekend. You know, so I, I'm sure he is creative, though. I believe it will be there somewhere, but at the moment, his approach to photography is stopping him from finding that creativity. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think everybody's creative, but I do think that we probably let adulting get in the way. <laughs> That's what my daughter calls it when she has to fill a form in. She says she's adulting. And I think we um, we allow adulting to get in the way, way of our creativity. And maybe we don't allow ourselves the luxury of it. And it shouldn't be a luxury, should it? But we behave like no, I know it's what an... I know what you're Sorry. saying, though. I think a lot of it is kind of, it's been ingrained into our culture, you know, in school and at work that everything has is like results driven, like grades and, you know, 
income and projects and like deadlines and everything has these expectation driven and uh, end results. Whereas I think true creativity may not have a end result, right? Like it, the act of doing is really the end result. I think. Yeah, uh, I agree. Ideally, I think that's a lovely way to look at it. Actually, I really do. Um, and it's so important. I think. We're, we're our own worst enemies because we treat time that we spend doing that as as a luxury, as self-indulgent. You know, oh, you know, I'm just going to go off and make photos or I'm just going to go off and paint. And everyone's like, oh, you know, leisure time. But actually, it's really important for our own health, our mental health, which also then means our physical health because they're connected. And, you know, being a, a creatively fulfilled human being probably makes you a better human being for those around you who care about you and, um, and for yourself. So I try to encourage everybody that I work with to treat their creativity as a priority, not an indulgence. And it's quite a hard thing for a lot of us to do. It is. Yeah, and I think to your earlier point about, you know, if you're someone who has these expectations of, oh, every time I go out, I have to get a good photograph or whatever, I think that creates some tunnel view, you know, like you're, you're, you're limiting what you're being open to seeing and to creating. And yeah, you might once in a while create something that's pretty awesome, uh, but you're probably, you probably missed out on hundreds of other things that are better, but yeah you weren't open to seeing them and therefore you missed it. Yeah, exactly. But it is a risky proposition for some people, you know, because like you said, time is, time is valuable. So yeah, absolutely right. But I know I hope that particular individual is is finding time to, to find his own voice and anyone else who's in that particular rut. And then there's a photographer, I don't know if you know her called Valda Bailey. Maybe you've had her on your program. I don't know. She, um, I'm not, not familiar. She, she, I, I, she and I are represented by a couple of the same galleries, and she's based in the UK. She wrote a really good article in um, the main landscape photography magazine here, which is called Outdoor Photography, a few years ago now, and it was just about the value of play. And it was very good. It really stuck in my mind, actually, um, that we have to we have to play. You know, it's what children do, and when children are playing, they're experimenting and they're trying out new things, and and they're acting and they're creating and. We kind of treat that like a childish thing, but actually that's what we should be doing with our cameras, you know, going outside, going to somewhere beautiful and then thinking, I wonder what would happen if I tried this and just experimenting and having fun with it. And that's when the the cool ideas happen. Yeah. Well, along those same lines, you know, you have a photo on your Instagram feed that recently just blew my mind. Um, it, It looks, you know, it looks like a top down view of, part of the beach with maybe like some small waves that are receding or coming in or something. But when you look at it, it really could be anything. I mean, it's, which is what I love about it. Um, so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about kind of what your process was for making that image and, and like, how do you look for and, and create scenes like that? Yeah. So it's kind of been a, um, a, I'm really glad you like that, by the way. I really like it too. Um, it's kind yeah, of been awesome. a, <laughs> A, a slow transition really because um, so I went professional in 2015 and then I, I did get really lucky and hit upon my sirens portfolio quite quickly um, in February 2016 like, like off, off the ground and so became known for enormous storm waves photographs of storm waves and it got lots of publicity which was lovely and it was very exciting at the time but you can't 
just keep on photographing storm waves and doing nothing else because people get bored and actually so do you you know and everyone else is making their own sirens now so you know that's time to move on so um I thought, well, those are the biggest things I can find on the beach. So what about now if I try the smallest things? So it's a, um, I had actually started working on my Ghost in the Shell portfolio before I started working on Sirens. Um, and that's a series of pictures of, of a shell on the shore with a long exposure of, of the edge of the water flowing around it. And so I started doing more of that, which was an old portfolio that I'd never really given much attention to. And I found I was really enjoying that. And then I thought, how can I make this more difficult? Well, let's not have a shell at all. Let's just see if you can make a picture with just the foam moving on the sand and get a composition. And so now that's what I'm doing, <laughs> which is, yeah, most people would think I'm slightly mad. A lot of people on the beaches think I'm very odd and come over and wonder what I'm up to, but it's okay. It's really good. No, I, um, last summer I did a trip out to the California coast you know, there was like a really nice sunset and all this, but I was very focused on this very small part of the beach that had water coming and going that was catching the light. Mm. And I was just mesmerized. I think I spent like 40 minutes just trying to make sense of the patterns that I was. Yeah. And I don't think I got anything that was like, oh, this is amazing, but it was so fun. <laughs> you know? It's really hard though, isn't it? Oh, it's it's yes. much harder than, than the other stuff I've been doing because, I mean, like this morning, I was there for two hours doing that sort of thing uh, down on the beach. And, um, you know, just the ch slightest change of the angle of the light changes everything. And um, and then the foam doesn't do, you know, the sea foam doesn't do what you want it to do. And then it does something completely different and ruins everything. And <laughs> it's really difficult and you have to be super patient. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like your approach is really just, um, to, to boil it down, is really just being open-minded and curious and just a lot of experimentation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I could do it any other way, really. Um, yeah. it, just, it just keeps things fun and it has to be yeah. fun, like you said already. <laughs> right. If your end goal is to have fun and not to have a great photograph, you'll probably make a great photograph in the process. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, some of my favorite photographs have been made on days when I pretty well figured out that I was not in the right frame of mind and nothing good was going to happen. So I just relaxed. So yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. Well, so one thing I noticed about your work and how you have it organized on your website is that it's in a lot of different kind of themes or um, I'm not even sure if a theme is the right way to put it, but it's kind of like a project or tell, tell us a little bit about um, how, how you've chosen to organize your work in that way and, and kind of what that's looked like for you in terms of when you're in the field. Yeah. So when I um, had my first website way back when I had basic, you know, sea, coast, inland, and they're still there. And actually really, they bug me every time I go to it that they're <laughs> and I've just got to get rid of them somehow. Um, but now I, I, I'm really, everything for me is about projects. So, you know, Sirens was the storm waves, Ghost in the Shell is the one I've just talked about, and so on. And I've, I'm, I actually, I'm, I'm so obsessed with projects now that if I get a standalone, you know, high impact picture, I'm always slightly grumpy. <laughs> I sort of feel like if it doesn't fit in any of my projects, it's no good, which is crazy, really. But 
I mean, seriously, I found projects really fulfilling because when you have to extend an idea over a whole body of work, you really have a new challenge and it stretches you and it encourages you to, to dig really deeply um, to find to find the work and you know to create the work and I love that I love that idea and it really motivates me so uh, I encourage a lot of my like we talked about my um, mentoring and my creative workshops one of the my favorites has been this um, photo project six month photo project group that I've I've done uh, two groups last year and, and um, started a new group this year um, I do it with another photographer called Adrian Beasley who's very um, very, very good. He does all my Lightroom training and things for my workshops because he's really good at the techie stuff, whereas I'm I'm arts and humanities brain. So together we do this and the whole thing is the clients have to work on a project they, and it can't be just every photo I made on my holidays. You know, it has to be a coherent project and they have to write a mission statement and they have to you know follow it through with some output, whether it's a book or a magazine or a slideshow or whatever. And it's it's brilliant. And I have seen photographers make the most extraordinary progress across all of their work during that six months just because they have done a project. So it actually trickles down into everything they're doing. And it builds confidence as well, the ability to see through something like that. Um, so I, I strongly encourage everyone to do it, but not those ridiculous collections that you see on Twitter at the moment. We won't get into that thorny topic, right? No, no we're not going to no, talk about that today. No, because those aren't serious collections. But, you know, something that is personal to the photographer that means something to them that I guess the way I've explained it to people who are trying to find their own voice is to find something to photograph that you can spend longer looking at without getting bored than anybody else. Because then you, if you're looking at it for longer than anybody else, you're going to find, you're going to see more deeply and you're going to find new things to say. And um, I think that really helps a lot of people, actually. So let's... I want to go a little bit deeper on this topic uh, because it's something that I've been trying to do more of myself. And and I I keep getting stuck in my mind around kind of the what comes first, the idea or the or the mission statement, or 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 is it, oh, you find something interesting and then you're like, oh, I can create a project out of this. So like in your experience, what kind of came first? It's the second one of those two. I think it's really hard to just get an idea when you're sitting in the bath or watching telly, you know, watching Netflix, climbing movies, um, you know, whatever you're doing, just have this inspiration just come down from the sky and then you like go out and capture all the pictures. I just don't think that, that well, if it happens to anyone, then they're really lucky because I actually think it, it you, well, there's a quote by Pablo Picasso, which I use a lot because I've always loved it. He said, inspiration exists but it has to find you working oh i think that's really cool don't you i guess yeah so you'll be out out in my case on the beach in your case you know out out in death valley or wherever um making pictures and that's when the ideas will come and then you'll think oh now look i've done that a bit differently this time and that that's cool there's something in that i wonder if i could actually get some more pictures like that what's what's that why do i like that oh because it looks like something else like you know sirens oh because they look like monsters okay oh cool could i find some more ways that look like monsters and that's that's how it works i think for almost everybody actually Mm, that's cool I think that's a great approach. 
I feel like I've started on like 70 projects in my mind, like when I've been out and then I forget about it. Um, but one of these times I'm actually going to carry it through. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to admit to the number of started but not finished projects that I've got in my head. So I'm with you. I'm totally there. Um, oh, yeah. good, good. <laughs> well, another thing I wanted to ask you about. So I was I was admiring another one of your photographs, and it's titled Face Off, um, <laughs> um, where you have a huge ocean wave in the exact same shape mirroring, mirroring a sea stack. That's that's quite a moment to witness right there. I'm curious for you, like how much editing goes into those sorts of shots, or are you just waiting for the exact moment to happen where, like, you capture that shape in the exact same shape as that thing? Is it? Yeah, I'd love to, for you to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, it, that, I like. I'm glad you like that picture. It's it. I got lucky. I really got lucky that that wave happened, basically. And I mean, I put myself in the way of the luck, of course. Um, I, I wrote an article, of, uh, I think I was interviewed in Elements magazine this month, and I told the story of, of um, that, or maybe it was an article, uh, who cares? Anyway, I've written about it, but probably most of your listeners won't know. So I made that picture in Oregon, and I absolutely love Oregon. I um, think it's just the most, the Oregon coast is just unbelievably gorgeous. And I've been there quite a few times because I like going back to places. And there's this famous honeypot location there. Um, do you use that term in America as well? Yeah, I mean, we. I think I know what you mean. Most people know what that means. It's more like icons or, yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. an iconic spot at Shore Acres Park. Of course. Uh, yes, where you get that giant splash. Yeah, with the, um, the rock that's like jutting um, out. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes you get some nutter standing on, on the rock just to give it scale, right? Of so, course. Um, yeah, of course. So I I had been there many times, but I'd never been there during a storm. But in on my last visit, which was October 2019, I there was a storm when I was there. So I went to Shore Acres and there were loads of other photographers there. I mean, you know, there's a particular place to stand really and you know, tripod legs were interlocking and we were all just sort of shuffling in for our spot. And there were some great splashes and everyone was whooping and it was good fun. And, and I was really grumpy <laughs> because I I just knew that the picture, you know, any picture I would make would look just like theirs. And theirs would look just like all the others on Google Images if you Google Shore Acres Storm and there they all are and they all look home. And I... I decided to leave, which is quite a brave decision in some ways, because you know what goes, I bet you know exactly what was going through my head. As soon yeah. as I walk away, I'm thinking, right, as soon as I leave, there's going to be the biggest splash that has ever been at Shore Acres, and they'll all photograph it, and I won't get it because yeah, I Yeah, FOMO, FOMO. Yes, exactly. But anyway, I left, and I went just down to, you know, the little beach next door. I don't know if I should say, because everyone's going to go there and spoil yeah, it. don't mention it. Anyway, there's a little beach you can go down to nearby. And normally there'd be a few people there. But on that day, because everyone was photographing the splash at the top, no one was there. I had the cove to myself. And that rock is offshore there. And I captured that photograph, which makes me far happier than I would have been if I'd got another shore acre splash. So um, and I was just, I, I just settled down there. I only had 40 minutes left before I had to leave and I just made a few pictures down in that little place and 
incredibly captured four portfolio pictures in 40 minutes. It could take me a year to capture four portfolio pictures. So that was just one of those golden moments. But that one face off is my favorite. Um, yeah, it's I really, just, it's really special for sure. And there's just a little girl sitting on the top of the rock, staring at the waves if to say, you can't get me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I love how it's, I mean, it's very visually stunning in terms of how much symmetry there is, um, but it's rock and water. And it's, that's why, you know, I think there's a lot of people like people like me who, because we, we look at a lot of photography, a lot of times when I see something like that, I'm very skeptical, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, they just put that in there. But I heard you talk enough times to know that like, no, you're just really patient. Yeah, and, and sometimes, like I said, really lucky. We all get lucky sometimes. So oh, I think of course. We, yeah, absolutely. And I just did get really lucky that day. Um, well, I'm like, quite to Photoshop that wave in. I don't know how you would do that. I, oh, I, yeah. I, maybe there are clever people out there who could, but I'm not one of them. Yeah, anyway, I just, um, I just wanted you to talk about that because it's an example of, um, you know, if you take risks and you don't have an expectation – and uh, you keep your eye open and you put yourself in a good situation, you're probably going to come away with something interesting. You might not, you might not, but that's okay. You know, like I'm sure if you would have went down there and got nothing, it still would have been a better decision. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, I had one more topic I wanted to ask you about. Sure. Um, so you've published, I think, three books, um, from what I can tell, through Kozu Books in the UK, and they're all sold out, which is really cool. Uh, what do you enjoy about uh, the bookmaking process? Um, not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I find it so stressful. They're never quite what you want them to be. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. And um, I've never self-published. I've always had a publisher. Um, and maybe I should try self-publishing, but I don't think it will be any easier because you still have to work with a printer yeah. and you have to compromise. And that's really hard when it's your art that you've labored over and made as perfect as you can. And then you've got to compromise because it doesn't quite print as well as the others, but they've all got to print it the same way. And there are some pictures in all three of those books that look really, really wrong. They shouldn't look like that. And I didn't get to see the proofs, you know, that I didn't get, I wasn't, wasn't allowed to go on press for any of them and um, didn't, but even then, what could I have done? Once you do a litho, when you're doing a litho printed book, once you start running the press, you have to keep going really. It's super right. expensive. Otherwise. So um, you've just got to, you have to learn to chill out about it. And I'm, that's a work in progress for me. <laughs> so I'm my, my own worst critic and I, um, yeah, I just I just think a lot of well, not a lot, but some of the pictures could have looked better. So there we go. So t tell <laughs> us a little bit, tell us a little bit about um, kind of what your thinking was in terms of what differentiates the three books, and how did you um, go about creating three unique ideas for those books? Well, the first book is um, is very small. It's a pocket sized book in a series of books that were current at the time. And um, it's just called The Coast, and it really is little more than a collection of coastal pictures. Um, and that was kind of the way that it was a whole series of books, so you could stack them all together. They were all um, in the same format by that publisher, and they were essentially an insight into the portfolio of 
every different photographers. So there are 20 of them or something. Um, I've got most of them somewhere. Um, so the next one was Sirens, which was very much a portfolio. You know, it was just Sirens. It was just mythical, you know, monstrous storm waves shot with fast shutter speeds named after myth- mythological beings. And that was um, that book and some nice competition wins with that portfolio really just launched my whole career, um, which was lovely. And that's I'm going to come back to that in a minute because that might be project number four. So um, and then Tides and Tempests, which was the one that came out at the end of 2020. That wouldn't have happened without lockdown because I was would have been too busy running workshops to do it. So lockdown allowed me to have another book and production values are much higher for that one. Um, it's a much more um, luxurious book and quite chunky. It's 100 and oh, I can't remember now, 160 pages, something like that. And there's a lot of pictures in there. But what was really nice for me with that one was that it allowed me to show people that I wasn't just about big waves and I could put in some quiet pictures and that was really nice. Um, so showing not just the Tempests, but everything else about the coast. So uh, that was good. And project number four, maybe, but this would be a, a vanity project, really. I don't think it would make money, is that I want to do another Sirens, but this time I want it to be a really luxurious book. Oh, really, big, with really high production values that's probably going to be ridiculously expensive to make and will only print 50 and they'll be 100 pounds each or something and probably never sell. But <laughs> I just really feel that that's unfinished business. I just want to give that portfolio a, another shot at, at, in book format, um, not least because the book came out just before we had, um, well, was the, the sequence was finalised just before a really, really big storm when I got a load of some of my most well-known pictures from that portfolio. So they didn't get into the first book because oh, gotcha. they came along too late. So it would be lovely to do a book that has the best pictures from the first part and the best pictures from the second part together, but really big because they need to be big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? How big were your print runs for the the Tide, tides and Tempests? How, how big was your print? We did, we did a thousand for a Tides thousand. and for Sirens. Yeah. 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 We we're, we just put the finishing touches on. Um, we did a, a book for the Natural Landscape Photography Awards. And we um, basically, it has all the award winners, but it also has heaps and heaps and heaps of other images that we all just really loved. And and then we have, a, we have some essays in there, like from Joe, Joe Cornish and William Neal and um, some other people. Um, so it's not just a awards book, but yeah, we're pulling out all the stops for it. You know, we're, it's going to be, we're going to print a thousand, I believe. And, you know, you're, you're looking at like $30,000, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the rest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. expensive stuff. It really is. But um, I mean, I could have sold more. You know, they're both sold out. Um, Ties and Tempest sold out in um, really fast. Um, but there is something quite nice about just saying, no, it's just a thousand and that's done now. And now move on to the next thing. So I right. think a thousand seems like a good number. Yeah. And it kind of becomes a collector's item, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, I've got one of a thousand of this book. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah exactly. I like I, I like that. And I shall look out for, for the natural landscapes book because I'm sure it's going to be beautiful. Yes, although we didn't get hardly any seascapes submitted. Oh, well. Yeah, because well, people are a bit unsure, aren't they? Are they, are they 
Are they landscapes? Right. Is it the land? Well, no, it's not the land, but it is part of Earth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it would come. Oh. It'd be fine. Um, yeah. Anyways, well, awesome. So I think you said you had nothing you wanted to promote, but um, I think you said all your workshops are sold out and all your books are sold out, and you just want to talk, and I love that. Yeah, that's um, cool. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's been nice. It's been nice to chat, and um, yeah, I'm I I'm not very good at marketing anyway. It makes me feel very embarrassed, so it's best to avoid it. <laughs> hey, you know, if if you're as good as you are, you don't need to market. No, oh, you're you're very very nice. Thank you. Um, I tell you what, I will do. If we're going to promote something, this is not to sell anything, but just because. I, I love print and I do want people to see my pictures in print. And I am represented by a gallery in America, in oh, cool. Massachusetts, the Sohn, that's S-O-H-N, Sohn Fine Art Gallery in the Berkshires, or Berkshires, as you would say, sorry, in Massachusetts. And um, so I'm guessing you have a lot of American listeners who might not know me. Um, if any of them are able to get out there and see some of my work in print, just to see it, not to buy it. I would love that because I want people to see my work in print, um, big, big prints. And if anyone's in the UK who, because I know you have a lot of UK listeners as well, um, there's currently a very large print of mine in the window of a gallery in Deal in Kent, uh, Taylor Jones and Son. So if people want to go and just see what one of my sirens looks like at one and a half metres, they could go and see it there. Brilliant. All right, well, wrapping up, uh, who would you recommend that our listeners know more about? Who would who would be a couple of people that you think we should look into a bit deeper? Yeah, so um, the first person I would suggest is Jonathan Critchley, and that's spelled C-H-R-I-T-C-H-L-E-Y. I hope I got that right. Um, but as, as soon as you get the C-H bit first, instead of just C, you'll find him. Jonathan Critchley. Um, I, um, I've i known Jonathan for quite a few years now. And back in 2015, he was really supportive of me when I was making the decision to go professional. And he mentored me and was a very good mentor. But I'm suggesting people go and look at his work just because it's really beautiful. All black and white, square photos, very artistic, um, varied subjects, some seascapes. He loves horses as well. He loves sails, yachts, and and um, icebergs. And he's very creative and very stylish. So, um, and he's been at this game for a very long time. He really knows what he's doing. So that would be the first one. And the second one would be an Icelandic photographer called Ragnar Axelsson. His website's really easy to find because it's just his nickname, Rax, R-A-X dot I-S, which is you know, Iceland. Um, and his work is completely different. Again, all black and white, but um, just incredible, powerful work about the people and um, who live in Iceland and other Nordic countries and how the lifestyle's changing and what the people are like living in those really difficult places. Um, their spirit, he captures their spirit in his photographs, which I don't know how I would never be able to do that. I just am full of admiration and um, yeah, brilliant work. Nice. Yeah, they're, they're a hardy people. Uh, when I was there, I, I think it's, what's that big waterfall? Um, I know there's like a billion of them, but it's like, yeah, there is. Um, is but it, there's uh, a, the one that's on Instagram the most is Skogafoss. Yeah, it's at Skogafoss, but there's a museum right near Skogafoss and it's really good. Like you yeah. learn all about Iceland's history and 
all of the, you know, just everything they went through every year just to survive and how they collect, like, you know, there's no trees hardly. So how they get wood to create boats and stuff. It's, it's a really interesting museum. I encourage people to check it out when they're over there. Yeah, definitely. Actually, there's a few really good museums in Iceland. I absolutely love Iceland, go as often as I can. And um, I love the Icelandic people as well. They're, they're really good people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rachel, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking time out of your, your busy schedule to, to uh, chat. No, it's been absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much. Of course. Well, thanks to Rachel for the great conversation this week. I really had a lot of fun, and it seems like we have a lot in common regarding our thought processes and motivations while out making photographs. It's great to hear others employ a similar approach that is more relaxed and open, as I think it makes for a much more enjoyable and long-lasting love affair with photography. Cheers, Rachel. I encourage everyone to head over to her website, racheltalabart.com, and enjoy her excellent photography. Well, I have one more thing I wanted to tell you about. Please join me at Out of Chicago Live on March 11th through the 13th of 2022. This will be my second Out of Chicago Live as an instructor, and I keep coming back because it's a lot of fun. As far as I know, this is the only event of its kind where you can learn from the largest group of instructors ever assembled, hang out with landscape photographers from all over the world, and be part of the Out of Chicago family. All sessions are recorded and available for 12 months after the event. Learn more and register at www.outofchicago.com. I hope to see you there. Again, that's outofchicago.com. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.